Good morning, ladies. And if you're joining us on Thursday evening, good evening. As you know, we are still in the year 2020. Currently, we are still in the throes of COVID-19. Riots are still rampant in our cities. And we have just gone through a very controversial presidential election. To say that anxiety and fear are the order of the day would be an understatement. However, I think our lesson today was so encouraging that we do not need to be victims of anxiety or fear. First, we will look at Psalm 23, where we are reminded that as believers, God is our shepherd who is with us and guides us even through the most difficult of circumstances. Secondly, we will be reminded in Psalm 24 and 47 of the promise of a future literal physical return of Christ when he will rule as king of glory on the earth. So let's look briefly at Psalm 23 um, to see what David um, wanted to share with us about the Lord as his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I thought it was really interesting that he changed from, from saying he to you, as though he had gotten so excited about what the Lord meant to him as being a shepherd that he suddenly stopped talking about, about it and started talking directly to him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And here you can see kind of a change from talking about the Lord as, a, as his shepherd to um, the Lord being a gracious host who has spread out this wonderful table um, that will, you know, is just overwhelming for him. And you really get that feeling as we go through these next verses. Um, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just reading this psalm is very soothing, isn't it? I wish there were time to deal with every word and line of this precious psalm. But for sake of time, I'm only going to take a glimpse of this psalm. First, notice that David says, The Lord is my shepherd. Notice that Lord is in all capital letters. This indicates that this word was translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. Yahweh is a name that indicates that he is the self-existing one. No other being or power caused his existence. He always was, always will be, and needs no assistance to do anything. As a result, he has unlimited resources and the power to meet every need of his entire creation. For his sheep, however, he offers more than just the basic necessities of life. He offers his personal relationship, care, and guidance 
and ultimately eternal life. David also emphasizes that the Lord is my shepherd. David, once a shepherd and now king, views himself as a sheep under the sovereign leadership of his shepherds. This enables him to experience a new and unique relationship between himself and the Lord. He is therefore in the position to be the recipient of all that this good shepherd has to offer him. This includes spiritual nourishment and rest, according to verse 2. In verse 3, David also realizes that from the shepherd comes spiritual restoration for his soul. This comes from the recognition that the Lord provides forgiveness and peace for those who follow him. From verse 3, his shepherd guides him into the paths of righteousness for his namesake. A good shepherd knows the best paths that are the safest for a sheep to follow. In the same way, the Lord leads his sheep in the right moral direction. David knew that sheep, if not carefully led on the right paths, will wander off into dangerous territory where they may be harmed or even die. David Shepherd knows the right paths and will diligently guide his sheep to them. This not only benefits his sheep, it also protects his reputation, his namesake, as a good shepherd. The Lord does care about his reputation and therefore will lead us to live lives that will glorify him if we remain in submission to him. From verse 4, David acknowledges the fact that his shepherd is close beside him, even when he finds himself in life-threatening circumstances. Therefore, he will not give in to fear. His shepherd, with his instruments of protection, discipline, and guidance, will be David's constant source of comfort. In verse 5, David seems almost overwhelmed by the overabundance of riches of the Lord's many provisions and spiritual blessings. He sees such abundance in verse 6 will last him the rest of his life unto eternity. Now let's look at a few ways we as believers can relate to David's relationship with the Lord as his shepherd. First, let's look at the identity of the Lord from a New Testament perspective. John 10, 11 identifies the Lord or Jehovah as the Lord Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus did for us. The Lord gives us his, gave his life for us. He took the penalty for our sin by shedding his blood unto death on the cross and rose again that we might have our sins forgiven, come to know him in a personal way, and have eternal life. Yet, not all are his sheep. It is only true for those who by faith have come to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. John 10:14 continues by saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Therefore, all of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus belong to him. And we can say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. Like David, we are under his sovereign leadership. 
Our life is no longer ours to do with whatever we please. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, the Apostle Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought for a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. So, to be one of the Lord's shepherd means more than just going to heaven when we die. Like David, it involves the understanding that we are under the Lord's ownership and are to be submitted to his will. His goal for us is to conform us into the image of his Son for his ultimate glory. As we continue to grow in this process, our relationship with the Lord also deepens and grows. Okay, next we see that he gives peace, the peace of God, to his own. He gives us rest that we might know his peace in our lives, verse 3. As a result, we too will be made to lie down in green pastures and to be led beside quiet waters. It is here we experience the peace of God as we learn to, quote, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7 All who have come to Christ for salvation have peace with God. However, the peace of God is only for believers who come to understand that the Lord is in control of all that we experience in this life. And because he is good and wise, he will cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 He remains close to us during the worst of circumstances. From Hebrews 13.6 We know that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Note that I will not be afraid is an act of the will. Just as David was assured of the shepherd's closeness, even in life-threatening circumstances, so can we when life becomes frightening for us. Even if we can't feel his presence, that is when we must exercise our faith and just take him at his word when he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 Also, continue in communication with him through prayer and stay in his word. Allow others to come alongside to encourage and pray with you and for you. Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear one another's burdens. Next, the Lord causes us to overflow with his blessings. Philippians 4.19 tells us, May God, my God, will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord's goodness and loving kindness follows us. James 1.17 tells us that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shift in shadow. James 1.17 We have eternal life. My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 27-28 In conclusion, this psalm is so precious to me on so many levels. I know that sheep are not the brightest of animals. They tend to, tend to wander off and get themselves into all kinds of trouble, just like me. Just like me, they need the tender, loving, and constant care of a good shepherd. That is why I am so grateful to the Lord that he is my shepherd. He gave his life to save mine so that I could be one of his sheep. As a result, he will keep me close and he will keep me safe and he will supply all I need to live for him. Now that we have seen how knowing the Lord as our shepherd encourages us today, let's move on to Psalm 24 and 47. Here we can be encouraged by knowing that in the future, the Lord Jesus will return bodily to rule on the earth. But first, let's look at a few reasons to consider the future coming of the king and kingdom as literal events. I have to tell you, first off, personally, that was one of the most exciting and thrilling things I learned early as a believer, was that the Lord Jesus was coming back, that we were actually going to get to see him here on earth. That excited me, and it still excites me. Now, let's look at why, you know, I think this is going to be a literal future future event. Right, but first off, there are several scriptures that would seem to support a literal view. And um, Karen gave us a handout. Well, she had made a long time ago anyway. She obviously didn't give it to us now, but we have it, and I want um, to reference that. So if you have it with you, please look at it. Um, to look at what, what some of these scriptures are saying here. Um, first off, Acts 1, 9, 11, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just want to pick out a few here. It says that, and after he, Jesus, had said these things, he, lifted, he was lifted up. A cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So the Lord Jesus' ascension was in his physical resurrected body. Therefore, would he not, just in the same way, Descend back to earth. From Matthew 6, 10, 9 through 10, we see that Jesus was praying. This is the Lord's Prayer. He prayed that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Uh, so there's Zechariah 14, 4. Behold the door, I'm um, sorry, behold the day is coming. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, 
which is in front of Jerusalem. Then the Lord, my God, will come, and all the holy ones with him. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. And if there should be any question as to the identity, Zechariah 12.10 gives us a clear picture of who this person is. Because it says, they will look on me whom they have pierced. I only know one that would have that description. From Revelation 24, I'm sorry, 20 verse 4, mentions that Christ will reign for a thousand years, which is awfully specific to, for it not to be literal. Here's some other um, literal uh, view considerations. And also, please, when you take this sheet home, look up some of these other references that she has here. She has a, another uh, line of those down at the bottom. Um, and I think that that will strengthen the idea of a literal return for Christ. But here's some other considerations. Since all the prophecies of the Lord Jesus' first coming were literally fulfilled, why would not the prophecies concerning his second coming not also be literally fulfilled? Also, if Jesus does not come back and set up his kingdom here on earth, then God will have broken his promises to David as well as the Jewish people. God doesn't break his promises. All right, now let's look at um, Psalm 24. Historically, it is possible that Psalm 24 was written when the Ark of the Covenant was taken to Jerusalem. In prophecy, there can be a near historical, though partial, application and a future ultimate fulfillment. The first being a foreshadow, of which it is possible to have more than one, of the ultimate and complete fulfillment. This may be the case with Psalm 24 which in my view is ultimately fulfilled with the literal physical return of Christ. Now let's look at the first half of Psalm 24 while we will learn who are qualified to be the worshipers of the future kingdom, in the future kingdom. The, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to deceit, and has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him who seek your face, even Jacob. Verses 1 and 2 establish that the earth is the Lord's by virtue of the fact that he created it. However, he's not ruling it. John 12, 31, 
1 John 5.19 and 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, all indicate that Satan is currently the ruler of this world. However, his days are numbered, and he will be cast out when the rightful ruler, the Lord, comes to earth to rule. See Revelation 20, verse 2. Verse 3 then asks the question about who is qualified to worship the Lord in his earthly kingdom. Notice that this is an earthly scene, not heavenly. The hill of the Lord is a reference to Mount Zion, and the holy place refers to the temple in Jerusalem. The psalmist then gives specific requirements to be a worshiper of the Lord in his earthly kingdom. First, they must have clean hands, that is, their actions are righteous or God-approved. Secondly, they must have a pure heart. Their motives must be um, sincere and their minds free of garbage, meaning impure thoughts. Three, they never lie. And four, they do not pervert justice with false testimony. I personally do not know anyone who would fully be qualified, including myself, to be one of the Lord's worshipers. However, as we can see from verse 5, because the Lord is the God of my salvation, he gave me his righteousness when I believed on the Lord as my Savior. From Genesis 15:6, we know that Abraham received righteousness as a gift for believing God. Therefore, true worshipers are those described here have received salvation on the basis of faith. Believers will seek to see him and worship him. Verse 6. These are the citizens of the millennium. This brings us to the second part of Psalm 47. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, ye gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. Doesn't that just excite you? It does me. I just can't wait to see this in person, and all believers will. I take verses 7 to 10 to be a description of a grand parade, perhaps his coronation, when the Lord Jesus enters the city and temple and takes his place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Notice that five times he is identified as the King of Glory. Let's look at the word glory for a moment. I have taken this directly from the notes of Karen Davis, so the credit should go to her. Thirteen different Hebrew words are translated glory in the King James Version. The word here is kavod, derived from the verb kavod, meaning to be heavy or weighty. It is also translated respectable, wisdom, power, authority, excellence, greatness, superiority, promotion, dignity. Forty-five times in scripture, this word relates 
to a visible manifestation of God. And there she's got references for examples. In the New Testament, it describes the Lord Jesus. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. The title, King of Glory, fits this visible manifestation of God. Yet, should there be any doubt, the psalmist asks the question, Who is the King of Glory? And gives us the answer, verse 8, The Lord. Described as strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And verse 10, the Lord of hosts or armies. The first time the Lord Jesus came, he came as a servant to sacrifice himself for our sin. But when he comes the second time to rule the world, it will be in great power and might. This is the same way he is described here as the King of Glory. Also see Philippians 2, 5-11. This brings us to our last psalm for today from the Psalms of Encouragement. Let's take a brave look at Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared a great king over all heaven? No. The earth. He subdues peoples under us, the nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has ascended with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm of wisdom. God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. You know, right now, the Lord is standing in heaven, isn't he? But here, he sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This psalm shows the Lord as ruler over all the earth. Both Jews and Gentiles together are told to shout joyfully to the Lord Most High. Verses 3 and 4 reveal, however, that the kingdom will hold a special aspect for the Jewish people. This is the time when all the promises that the Lord made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as his covenant with David and the rest of his promises to the nation of Israel will come to fruition. Like it or not, the Jewish people will have an elevated role in the new kingdom. See Zechariah 8.22 through 23. However, verses 5 through 9 give all people who believe in Abraham's God at that time reasons to sing praises to God. Verse 6. 
He will then rule the entire world. Verses 7 through 8a. He will literally sit on his throne. Verse 8b. And all authorities will be subject to him. Verse 9. So what are our takeaways from Psalms 23, 24, and 47? First off, number one. Make certain that you are one of the Lord's sheep. From um, John 3, 36, he says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 1.12 gives us a very um, hopeful thing. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So it's not going to church. It's not being baptized. It's not doing all kinds of good, need, good deeds. It's putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Believing that when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood, it was so our sins could be taken away. That we could be clothed in his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees us. He sees his son. And it means that we belong to him. Secondly, as believers, we need to be allowing the peace of God to guard our hearts and minds. Are we doing that? Especially in this year, especially after this week, are we allowing God's peace to guard our hearts and our mind? I know it's been hard for me. And I'm sure it's been hard for a lot of you. But the Lord is our shepherd. And he will get us through this. Because he's faithful to his promises. Number three, the Lord Jesus is the king of glory. Who will physically and literally return to earth. And lastly, no matter how bad the world gets. Be encouraged that when the Lord returns to rule the earth, he will make all things right. And that has got to encourage us. You know, the Lord says that in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we can always know and no matter how terrible things get, he's going to come back and he is going to fix everything. And justice will be a way of life.
Let's pray. Dear Lord in heaven, we just thank you so much. You have given so much. You've done it all for us, even dying on the cross for us. And Lord, we thank you that because of that, we can know you in a personal way and that you are our shepherd and you will guide us through anything and everything. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises, that when you promised that you would come and rule and have your kingdom here on earth, Lord, we know that you will. And no matter how bad things get here, we know that that's going to come and that you are going to come. And Lord, we say thank you and we praise you and we wait anxiously for that day. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.